sustainability can be extremely overwhelming. It's so confusing that even laws about it change from city to city. Sometimes efforts seem pointless and it becomes a moot point. But it's so simple that the basic definition of sustainability is maintaining at a certain rate. Yes, there are many complexities with it, but at the end of the day, you make the choice on keeping our earth going for future generations. On Degradable, we're moving the moot point back to a conversation, breaking down the problems of sustainability to digestible bits. Working to be an environmental Texan, I'm doing the homework to hopefully persuade you to make some sort of environmental lifestyle change. Welcome to Degradable. Degradable thanks Sandy and Randy Smith for sponsoring this episode, Eco Awakening Consumption. Why we should care about the environment. Why should we do it? You know, that's the thing. Things kind of changed for me and put it even more into perspective when I was surprised with a little brother. And it just made me care even more because because he's going to be here longer than anyone else I know. Asking why I should care for the environment is kind of like asking why should I care for a kid or a pet? Well, you want the best for them. You love them. They depend on you for survival, and so you do it. That may not resonate with the individual, but it's important to think outside yourself sometimes. But to be completely honest, individual persons can only do so much. It's really the big industrial businesses that need to do the heavy lifting and move to cleaner processes. It's the government that needs to be incorporating science-based solutions in the legislation to enforce companies to make a change. And it's up to science and educated people to keep these issues at the top of our priority list until we can get on the same page and solve it all together. And the question isn't, are future generations going to exist or are they not going to exist? The question and the choice that we have is how difficult do we want to make life for our future generations. The earth is made of many cycles. The water cycle, carbon cycle, photosynthesis, weather cycles, seasons, cycles of species, life itself as a cycle. And climate change can disrupt many of these patterns and cycles and can determine how a species survives or if they survive. We need to change the way we treat the environment to make sure humans can have good quality lives and most animals too. There's been a rise in environmental awareness since 2016. I assume this number didn't dip in the pandemic because of an increase into the amount of time we had. I mean, Degradable's last episode, A Green Pandemic, had the most listens we've had on any episode. And yes, before the pandemic, there was the moment when Greta Thunberg became a household name, and before Greta, Mary Copany made waves about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, causing the residents' health problems. And before Mary, there have been many others found in protests, publications, and dedicating their life's work to conservation, awareness, and more. But we're living in a time that's known as the ego awakening. Can't you tell? I mean, the amount of TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube content I've seen that provides advice on how to be eco-conscious has skyrocketed. Or maybe that's just my feed. There's been a 71% rise in internet searches for online eco-friendly goods since 2016, according to the Economist Intelligence Unit. And these searches are from all over the world, including developing countries. Smart businesses are catching onto this environmental awakening by pivoting their production lines, products, and services to align with sustainability efforts. A growing number of businesses are establishing net zero goals and proudly promoting these efforts, which they totally should. These businesses may even be ahead of some future laws. New York may be the first state to hold the fashion industry accountable with the Fashion Act if it passes into legislation. 
This would require fashion retailers and manufacturers to disclose environmental and social due diligence policies. President Biden just signed an executive order that will position America to lead the so-called green procurement by holding several industries accountable to new and tighter sustainability requirements. This is an order that started with George W. Bush, fell off with Trump, and at the time of it being in the wayside for Trump, other countries saw the urgency of action for global warming as the European Union, Brazil, and Japan moved forward with it. So since we last spoke, I've taken a few classes, was briefly on the path to having a wastewater certification, I've done a lot more research, experiments, and just overall growth. What stayed the same is that I continue to care about the earth, and I remain cheap. Or as some suggest, I should say frugal. I'm money conscious. I squeeze everything I can out of something I buy if I even decide to make a purchase. I research and do price comparisons on items before I buy them. I care about my money, and I have a very difficult time borrowing from anyone other than a bank. It's a downfall. But what this has taught me about environmentally friendly efforts is that humans make mistakes, like being in debt to a bank for years. But it doesn't have to be a rich man's game to participate. Environmentalism is based on knowing the earth provides everything humans need to survive, which is so true. My mom raised me with several good quotes, one being, you only need food, water, and shelter to survive. You want other things. If I ever said I needed something like a toy or new shoes, my mom would have me recite those words to her. I only need food, water, and shelter to survive. I don't need whatever it was. And would you believe this taught me how to be resourceful? I'm a pescatarian and Nathan is vegetarian, so there are typically more fruits, vegetables, and grains in our house than processed foods and meats. Before I became a pescatarian, I could rarely even afford meat anyway. In college, my diet was basically the cheapest eggs, in-season veggies and fruits, ramen, and a hungry man frozen dinners. Because they were affordable and quick to make, I hate cooking, Nathan does the cooking in our house, and he's really good at it. I use bath towels for about three days before throwing them in the wash. If I don't sweat in clothes, I'm hanging them back on the hanger to be reworn. This saves on water and laundry detergent. When appropriate, windows are open for air ventilation as the house rarely goes higher than 75 in the winter and lower than 70 in the summer. All of my poor roommates have suffered through this way of living, but it saves on electricity and money because I'm cheap. I know what it's like to be a penny pincher, trust me. I've even been one of those people who did surveys to get some extra income. So any advice I give you should never require you to break the bank and will always ask you to think before you buy. Don't you like your money? Well, you can save the environment by being a conscious consumer. After the break, we'll dive into some environmental history, pre-ego awakening, to understand how it applies to our consumer mentalities. We love to shout out our sponsors by helping make Degradable possible. Our sponsors' donations help fund Degradable's mission to bring you awareness on working towards living a sustainable life, wherever you are in the world. If you'd like to donate, please visit anchor.fm slash degradable and hit that support button. It's difficult to understand the present and future without knowing the past. Often we hear about the end of the world quickly approaching because of the way we carelessly interact with the environment. And this urgency stems from the scientists who are saying these things. But who are the scientists? How long has this awareness been around? The eco-awakening we're in has been around since the 1960s. To understand this awakening, we're going to step back in time a bit in order to learn how our consumer actions and thoughts have impacted environmental history before the 20th century. Way back in 1730, 363 Bishnoi villagers were beheaded. A nearby king sent his soldiers to gather wood near Kajarli so he could build a palace. One Bishnoi villager, Amrita Devi, 
wrapped her arms around a tree to prevent the soldiers from cutting it down. She encouraged the other villagers to do the same by saying a chopped head is cheaper than a felled tree. Once the soldiers reported back to the king the number of lives that had been taken in protest, the king ceased the order. He was apologetic, banned cutting trees in this region, and planted 363 trees in honor of the lives lost. This is the first environmental protest we see in recorded history. The Bijmoy faith was founded in 1485 AD by Guru Maharaj Jambaji, believing it is sin to harm trees or animals. To this day, the Bishnoi village remains one of the few communities that continues to preserve their ecosystem within a desert in India. That moment inspired the Chipka movement in 1973, led by Chandipur Sahad Bhatt. The forest in now Uttarakhand provided the villagers food and fuel. Uttar Pradesh saw a need for development attracting logging companies. The mismanagement of the commercial logging and special permission given to sports equipment manufacturing companies inspired Chandi to form the Chipka movement seen as an eco-feminism movement, and coined the term tree-huggers. It's common to passionately react when we see our ecosystem being taken from us or failing to work due to an interruption in the normal routine of things. Protecting their civilization, early settlements like Harappa in the Indus Valley, found in modern-day Pakistan, were constructed on giant platforms and elevated land to keep their people out of the seasonal floods and what they noticed as polluted waters. Some of these civilizations had advanced waste management systems for the time and practiced gray water usage. Unfortunately, Mother Nature had a change around 2500 BC, which caused a shift in temperatures and weather patterns over the Indus Valley, making agriculture difficult. Thus, one of the reasons many believe for the civilization to end. It seems like although these settlements were innovative and conservative, climate change still occurred as civilization continues to evolve, as did building materials. Around 400 BC, Hippocrates noted there was lead toxicity in those working within the mining industry. 200 years later, Galen identified the pathology of lead poisoning and recognized the hazardous exposures of copper miners to acid mists. In 1306, King Edward I enforced a limit on coal burning in London due to the occurrence of smog. This pollution was so out of control that John Evelyn, a gardener, wrote London resembled the suburbs of hell, and to resolve the issue by surrounding London with a ring of gardens to help purify the air. John claimed not only is the smog a public health issue, but a political one, making London look undignified. And no action was taken until the death toll began to rise. The 1956 Clean Air Act mandated the burning of smokeless fuels in cities and recommended a shift to renewable energy. Both of these instances are chemical pollution. In 1798, Thomas Malthus published an essay on the principle of population, outlining the supply and demand of food production and population. As the food supply increases, foods should become cheaper, which causes more births. However, with more mouths to feed means that food prices increase, causing families to stress more, and more child deaths, and an increased rate of ways to prevent conception. As the cost of food rises, more land is used for agriculture, and more efforts are made in intensifying the production of the land. Intensifying, like using pesticides, growing GMOs, unnatural agriculture systems to be built causing soil degradation, and a lack of biodiversity. This isn't just a land issue, it's also a hunger poverty and can be a health safety one for the farmers. An issue that affects all of us? Global warming. Over 250 years ago, in 1824, the greenhouse effect theory was discovered by Jean-Baptiste Joseph Fourier, a mathematician and physicist who sought the answer to the question, Why isn't the Earth as hot as the sun as it radiates on our planet? 
Good question. 30 years later, John Tyndall proves that water vapor, carbon dioxide, and our ozone are strong absorbers of this heat radiation, especially our water vapor. And in 1997, Vice President of the time Al Gore pushed for the Kyoto Protocol, a treaty to reduce greenhouse emissions. But the Clinton administration didn't sign it due to the treaty not applying to developing countries. This is awareness in action. As the United States of America was developing, artist George Catlin proposed the idea of national parks in 1841 through his book Letters and Notes on the Manners, Customs, and Condition of the North American Indians. After being around Native American tribes, he believed the land a national right to the indigenous peoples of the United States of America after seeing the Western expansion as a threat to indigenous nations, wilderness, and wildlife. Fifty years later, the Sierra Club was founded by John Muir to protect the wilderness. Eventually, this led to the creation of the National Park Service, created by the Organic Act of 1916, signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson. This is conservation. Understanding the importance of preservation, George Perkins Marsh urgently states, the world cannot afford to wait in his 1864 publication, Man and Nature. This book warns of climate change and challenges the belief of inexhaustibility of the Earth's resources. While referencing the ancient civilization of the Mediterranean, which had collapsed many believe from environmental degradation. Let that sink in. This book, A Warning, was published a little over 150 years ago. And two years later, in 1866, the term ecology is coined from Ernest Haeckel's book, General Morphology of Organisms. This publication was not popular among his scientist colleagues, as many of the theories were seen as out of reach, but it did focus on evolution and relationships among species. Both George's and Ernest's publications inspired the teachings of ecology and environmental science. And as we're closing the 20th century, we see the first electric vehicle in 1890. 1890! It was a six-passenger vehicle going at top speed at the time, 14 miles per hour. The vehicles were very popular with city folk. New York City even had 60 electric taxis. But it was beat out by the Ford T model in the 1920s. Gasoline vehicles were nearly half the cost of the electric vehicle, making it, of course, more available and popular. In the 21st century, we see the publication of Silent Spring, the Clean Water Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the banning of DDT, a pesticide, the first GMO, a rot-resistant tomato that was taken off the market, the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro that produces two treaties, one being the Framework Convention on Climate Change, and we see limits on greenhouse gas emissions, the term triple bottom line to clarify sustainability as the combination of social, economic, and environmental value. We see the warmest years on record, 2020 tying in with 2016, and so much more. All of this to say, don't fret. Be aware. Be conscious. Be cautious. No one can accurately predict the end of the world. And we're gonna recognize that the Earth has gone through five mass extinctions that we know of. We could be speeding up the process to the next large extinction at the current rate we're operating. So, let's slow it down. We cannot erase the damage that's been done, but if we try hard enough, we may be able to maintain the rate where we are. And that starts with you. Yes, I agree. It's the government and big business's responsibility. And it's yours. You have the power to say no and yes to big businesses. You're the consumer. We're focused on an eco office space, booze, and getting personal in the bathroom this season of Degradable. Listen to this and other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Degradable Podcasts for updates and to share your thoughts. 
Leave a message to be featured on the show or support the podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash degradable.